Well, hello there. Fancy meeting you here. My name is Tommy Jones, and this is my podcast. So let's take a few minutes, talk about life, and we will see where we end up. Welcome to Off the Cuff. I'm glad you're here. Hello again, and welcome back to the podcast. Man, I'm, I'm glad you're with me today. Glad to be with anyone today. It's been a few days of locked up due to the massive snowfall, the record-setting cold temperatures. So I'm up at church. Uh, I'm not at church. I hate it when I say that. I'm at the building. Uh, you're the church. I'm the church, but I'm at the building. And I'm the only person here, so I thought I'd sneak out of the house for just a minute and knock out a podcast because I got some things I want to say. By the way, let, let me tell you something that's coming soon that I'm pretty excited about. I think may, maybe even next podcast will be my lovely wife, Christy, and I discussing stress and how to handle it. And I feel like that's so timely. You know, Christy's a functional medicine nurse practitioner. She studied this stuff extensively, so I'm excited about that. I'm hoping that's coming out either later this week or early next week, so we'll see. But today, I want to have a conversation that, that I believe is pretty timely. Uh, last night, there was the Iowa primary. I don't know if you keep up with politics or not. I know some audience do, some probably don't. But last night was the Iowa primary where the Republican voters came out in Iowa to nominate the Republican candidate who will then run for president of the United States. And it happened much as we expected it to, um, especially in Iowa. I think in New Hampshire it'll be a little tighter. But So basically we're back in an election season. And this is typically the most toxic time for the church. I have fatigue even thinking about this. My mind flashes back to what was during the last election cycle when the church went through the most divisive season of my lifetime. I, maybe the Civil War was a more divisive season, but other than that, it was the most divided I've ever seen our country and the church. It was gross. And so I hope that we have learned from our past mistakes. But since it's looking like many of the same characters are coming into play again in this election cycle, and many of these characters seem to be relatively divisive, uh, I have a little fear that maybe we haven't learned for, from the past. So what I want to do today is just talk for a minute about how we maintain our witness during charged political times, especially since so many of us have such passionate positions. And not only that, everyone who has a passionate position, politically speaking, believes that God is on their side. If they're a Christian, if they're you know someone who follows Christ, they believe that Christ endorses their passionate position. And so I think a lot of those things are good. I think Christians, we should care. Uh, we should be involved in some things. We should be involved in the conversation. But how do we maintain our witness during hypercharged political times like the one we're going into now? And I'm already seeing it. I'm already seeing the conversation do what it always does. You have to vote this way or you're not Christian. You have to vote that way or you're not Christian. You have to vote for this person or you're not Christian. I've heard people say that. If you vote for this other party, then you're not a Christian. And I'm like, what? That? So let's just talk for a minute about how we can maintain our witness during this season. The first thing I think we need to remember is this. The Bible talks about unity a lot. Whatever your passionate position is, and I know you've got one, I'm willing to say that you should probably spend at least that much time thinking about unity inside the kingdom. Matthew 12 25, I'm not going to pause today for you to look it up, but you can look it up later. Matthew 12, 25 says, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. Read John 17, guys. Uh, read Paul's letters. Unity matters so much in the body of Christ. And it's not unity for the purpose of conformity, but the purpose of, of not conforming to the patterns of this world. 
And you remember, if you remember the last political cycle that happened, there was no unity. Actually, that's not true. People unified into two camps, completely divided from each other and lobbing grenades at each other. And yet, Jesus talks about unity so much. And so I just want to remind you as we enter this season that one of the first things we must remember is how we disagree matters. You and I can both be passionate about a position, both love Jesus, and both uh, be you know, you know living a wonderful Christian life. We don't have to agree on everything. And when we do disagree, how we disagree matters. I mean, it makes a difference. It's so easy for us to get sucked into their battles. It's so easy for us to be divided by the political process. It's so easy for us to become slaves to the fear that both sides propagate. And this may be a shocker, but the, the Democrat symbol is a donkey and the Republican symbol is an elephant. Neither uses a dove, a cross, or a flame, or an empty tomb. And that's good. They shouldn't. Because I'm willing to bet that neither party fully represents the agenda of God in this world. And remember, Christ came into the world to reconcile people, to bring people back to each other, to bring people back to God. And so if I sound a little excited, I am because I'm nervous. I'm nervous that we're going to go through again what we went through before. I'm nervous that people I love are going to divide from each other over political affiliations. And so I just hope that Man, I hope that as we enter this season, we are fervently praying, fervent, that's a good word, fervently praying for unity. That as you and I disagree, we learn to disagree as brothers and sisters who love each other. Second thing I think we need to remember is your, responsible, your responsibility as a Christian, your responsibility as a follower of Christ should come before your rights as an American. And so some people think I have an agenda when I do these things. I do have an agenda. My agenda right here is that I, I must be, I must elevate my responsibility as a Christian over my rights as an American. Man, we live in the most individualistic society in the world. And that means that you, it means that I, we place a high value on the individual. On individual freedom, on individual rights, these things are so important to us here. And like if, if you're from Asia or the Middle East or, or some other culture, like I think about my, you know, Caden's dad's family. They place such a high value on the collective, such a high value on the group. But Americans, and they're, they're, they're Laotian, Thai, and so, but Americans aren't typically like that. We place a much higher value on the individual. So in, in other countries, in Asia and Middle East, the individual takes a back seat to the group. In America, the back seat takes, uh, the, the group takes a back seat to the individual. And the Bible was written in a context of a very collectivist society or a society that placed a higher value on the group than it did the individual. But we have something here known as the Bill of Rights. And it's important to us. Why is it important to us? Because we place an incredibly high value on our individual rights. We believe that we have individual rights, some of which were given to us by God, and we think that these rights keep us free, and we deeply value freedom. And I'm not, that's not bad. None of these are bad things. But so for many, our ability to remain free, like our freedom is directly tied to my rights. My individual freedom is directly tied to my individual rights and our rights to protect our freedom, and so we vote and we think and we act in such a way that protects our freedom. And I would go so far as to say that, that love for this country is tied to our individual rights and freedoms. 
you know, we say we're blessed to live in this nation, and we say that often because we believe that we're referring to our rights and our freedoms, right? I'm blessed because I have these rights. I'm blessed because I have these freedoms. And I would say that in many ways, our, our joy, our happiness is tied to our rights and our freedoms. That's in some ways, even our peace, our peace of mind is attached to our rights and freedoms. Like, as long as I have this right, as long as I have this freedom, then I have peace. And if you think I'm going too far, remember how people responded when they were made to wear masks. Remember, it wasn't like masks weren't a choice. They were mandated. And I'm not saying whether the mask mandate was right or wrong. I'm not a scientist. Don't know. Don't care. I'm just saying, remember how many of us responded when we lost the freedom to decide about something like a mask. I know that something like a mask is a huge issue in the scheme of life, but it certainly felt like a huge issue. But when we lost a bit of our freedom, when we lost one of our rights, it was, man, people were upset. They were scared. They were angry. And I mean, then you, we weren't allowed to gather together. Uh, they were trying to, to prohibit large gatherings. And so we lost a right and a freedom. And that created great fear and anger in so many people. And, and I mean, we see it. It's fair to say, I think, that in a society as individualistic as this one, our hope, our love, our peace is often tied to our rights because we believe it's our rights that keep us free. And so we place a high value on individual rights. But here's where I want to go for just a minute. Rights without responsibilities don't work. Rights without some elevated sense of responsibility. To just give someone rights without a higher governing power of responsibility becomes a problem. It's like, I remember when Caden, Caden's my son, he's 19 now, wonderful young man. But when he turned 16, he got a car. He had the right to drive. Uh, the government said you have the right to drive at 16. He passed the test. He had the license. He had the right to drive. But in the home, he had responsibilities. And if his responsibilities weren't met, then he lost his right. See, he, the, the responsibilities he had were actually greater than the right he had, and his rights were governed by his responsibilities. Does that make sense? I, th I think it does, because in, in the end, if you don't have responsibilities that are elevated above your rights, if you don't have responsibilities that limit your rights, that govern your rights, then your rights can become dangerous. And so I think we have to stop, especially as we enter a political season, and ask ourselves, who am I responsible to? And what comes first, my rights or my responsibility? What should be the primary filter by which I make my choices? Is it my rights as an American or is it my responsibility as a Christian? Which one will be my primary decision maker? Which one will govern how I speak? Um, there's a guy named Paul in the Bible and he's, he's a super important character. He's, he's the apostle to the Gentiles and he just has such a, a beautiful role and he, he writes amazing letters. But for his time and place, like, even though um, the Jewish people were often captive and all these kinds of things, Paul still had tremendous political rights. Uh, he was a Roman. He was a Pharisee. Uh, he had political power. He had political freedom. It would have been easy for Paul to have his love and his peace and his joy tied up in his rights and his freedom. It would have made total sense for Paul to consider himself blessed by God because he had the rights and freedoms that he had. But Paul actually gave up those things to follow Christ. In, in 1 Corinthians 10, 23, he says, I have the right to do anything. I have the right to do anything, you say. 
but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. So what Paul is saying is, man, I have the right to do it, but I have this this responsibility to not do everything that I have the right to do. I'm not under the old law, and so I have all this freedom, and but it doesn't mean that I should do it. I mean, I have, I have the right to say what I want to say. I have the right to post what I want to post. I have the right to do a lot of things, but it doesn't mean I do everything I have the right to do because I have a responsibility that's greater than the right. And so I think that should affect the way we think in political seasons. I have the right to say it, but maybe I shouldn't. I have the right to do it, but maybe I shouldn't. I have the right, you know, I have, I have the political freedom, the legal freedom to say or do whatever I want, but it doesn't mean I should say or do whatever I want because not everything is constructive. And constructive for what? Constructive for the kingdom of God. Constructive for my witness. Even though I have the right to say it, sometimes it may be better that I'm silent. We have to to think is what I'm doing constructive and beneficial, not just for my political candidate, but for the kingdom of God. Galatians 5.13, this is another thing Paul wrote. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Ah, Gosh, man, my mind just goes back to the last, uh, you know, heavily toxic political cycle and people just devoured each other. They forgot that you begin to use their freedom uh, to, to indulge their flesh and they use their freedom to, to capitalize on their rights and they forgot about their responsibility. I mean, my real king, the number one person I answer to, the king of the universe, he says, I'm giving you a responsibility. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so he's saying, do not elevate your right above the responsibility. Rights are about what's owed to me, what I am due, what I deserve. And rights are good. And I'm glad we have them. But if my primary filter is my rights, what am I legally, politically allowed to do, then my primary filter is me. I am the central figure in my decision making. To a lesser extent, my tribe, my people, the people who look, think, and act like me, what is best for me, what is best for my tribe, what benefits me. I want my opinion to be heard. They need to know what I think. They need to hear my agenda. I have the right. Yes. But over and over, Paul and I believe Jesus are trying to tell us, you have a responsibility that's above your right. And the primary land by which we make our decision needs to change. And if you hold a responsibility-based mentality, that means you're thinking first about someone or something that's greater than you, right? If you have a responsibility-based mentality, it means, it means someone else is the central figure. And for those of us who call ourselves followers of Christ, then we're responsible to Christ and our responsibility is to Him. And so our responsibility to Him comes before our rights. And this mindset doesn't limit your freedom at all. It sets you free. Think about it. If your love and your peace and your joy, whether you feel uh, blessed or whatever, if your love and your peace and your joy hinges on your rights and freedoms, then we've learned those things can be taken away. If your peace of mind in this world and your hope and your joy hinges on 
the things that can be taken away or be voted in or out, then it's precarious. Not only that, we can be super divided over rights because there's room for interpretation. I mean, the Red Sea rights one way and the Blue Sea's right another way, and both groups are fighting for what they consider to be their rights, and this puts us in competition with each other, and we elevate our rights over their rights, blah, blah, blah. But if we elevate our responsibility to God over our rights, if our love and our peace and our joy are found in serving God, then that changes everything. Who can take from you your ability to love God and love people? Who can take that? They can't vote that out of office. And it doesn't matter who's elected if that's the case. And I'm not saying it doesn't matter who's elected. I'm saying it doesn't matter if, if, if your highest idea, if your highest thought is responsibility to God, then whoever becomes president can't take that from you. And so we have to change our mentality. We have to think about things that are bigger. Remember while you're engaging in this process uh, that, that something bigger is going on. Be engaged. It's your right. Disagree. It's your right. But as we enter this season, please remember that you have responsibilities to your church, to your brother or sister, to your God. You have a responsibility to be a reconciler. You have a responsibility that far outweighs your rights. And so I don't know if, if the Tuesday primaries, if your person did good or not or whatever, but please, guys, please think before we speak this year. Please stop talking as if, you know, uh, God is on your side and everyone else is a heathen. I mean, think about it. Let us not repeat the mistakes of our past. We're entering another political season. And at some point, a new president will be elected. But the kingdom will not rise or fall based on who the president of the United States is. The kingdom, the kingdom, what matters most in the kingdom is that those people who claim Jesus as their king live publicly as Christians. What matters most in the kingdom is not who the president of the United States is. What matters most in the kingdom is that we live like kingdom people even as we disagree. That we learn to disagree as those who love God. Man, I, I, know, I know this is a touchy subject and I just want us to remember as we enter this season uh, that we have a great opportunity uh, during these times. We have a great opportunity to demonstrate that we don't look like the rest of the world. I think we missed the mark last time. This time, I'm praying for better. Better from me, better from, from you, better from all of us, uh, that we are a better witness in the world. That as the world becomes dark and divisive, there is a clear light, and that that light is the church. I love you guys. Hope you enjoy this. It's something to think about, man. Uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. Uh, as always, I'd love to hear from you. If you have thoughts or opinions or feelings, you can email me, tommy at thegracechurch.net, and I'll talk to you soon. Jones out.